Well, in those songs, you got a good theology lesson tonight. You uh, think about that verse in at Calvary, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, and then, Oh, the grace that brought it down to man, Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Boy, that's just amazing lyrics that you think about there because how true that is and how hopeless we would be without Christ. Then we sang about Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming down so he could not only be the Lamb of God in sacrifice for us, but also we're transformed. Now we're in the Lord's flock. He calls us his little flock in the Gospel of Luke. And so now we are God's lambs as well. Not in the same way Christ is, but brought into his fold, into his family. And then when we think about what we just sang, a high priest whose name is love and one with himself, I cannot die. And I, I mean, man, it's just wonderful to be able to sing those things. Now my question is, do you believe them? They've got to be more than just songs. They've got to be more than just pretty words and lyrics and a nice tune and rhythms and chords and all of that. It has to be the expression of our heart. That is what we really want, and that's what glorifies and honors the Lord. And I wish that in the Christian life, I wish we could always be happy and joyful and positive and on top of everything, victorious and overcoming sin and fighting the enemy and all of those kind of things. But sometimes we stumble, sometimes we fall, sometimes we get wounded, sometimes it's by friendly fire, and uh, we get discouraged, sometimes we get misled, we get tricked. And um, what do we do when we find ourselves in distress? Well, let's turn to Psalm 25. We'll read a few more verses of it. We'll look at Psalm 25, 16 through 18 tonight. And you can hear the pain in David's voice, and yet you also see the hope in all of it. So what should believers do, and how should they act, and where should they turn when they find themselves in great distress because there are some dangers whenever we find ourselves in those kind of things. It may be because of sickness. It may be because of disappointment or betrayal. It may be because of grief. And we tend to think that we have a built-in excuse when we're going through something like that. Well, nobody would expect us to live for God during that time. Well, yeah, God does. And He's with us. And he is using us through those times. And sometimes it's through our pain that the megaphone of God's word just really screams out through us. In times, uh, at other times, nobody would listen. Nobody would care. God uses us in our distresses. But we've got to be careful. And I find that a lot of people, Christian people, whenever they get really hurt, really burdened down, really in distress. They do all the wrong things, and then they wonder why things didn't work out so well for them. And uh, one of the things you want to do is make sure that if you've got a big burden on you, you don't want to add to it. If you've got problems in your life, you don't want to add to them. And so David tells us how to uh, get these things right. And notice what he says in verse 16, Psalm 25, 16 through 18. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive 
all my sins. Now, some interesting uh, words in here. David is in trouble. David is suffering, and David wants relief. Well, I don't blame him for that. I would want it as well. But he uh, makes some statements here. Turn yourself to me and uh, have mercy upon me. Is that something that is relevant for us? We'll uh, talk about that. At least I will in just a little bit. And then he says, I'm desolate and afflicted. Now, we all know a believer should never feel desolate or afflicted, but believers feel desolate and afflicted. So uh, this is kind of an, a normal thing for uh, everyday life, but it uh, really shouldn't be normal for a Christian. And I think we all know that, and we'd all say amen to that until we fall into it. And then we say, what am I supposed to do and how am I supposed to live? Now, when we get to verse 17, the troubles of my heart have enlarged. That's not the pump. That's not the thing beating in your chest he's talking about. He's talking about your soul. He's talking about emotional pain here. And he's saying it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Have you ever had that feeling that when things are weighing you down and you go, well, they couldn't possibly get any worse... They do sometimes, yeah. And sometimes if you're like Job, your friends come to comfort you and they end up making the whole situation worse. Sometimes people can say some well-meaning things, but they're just not very smart sometimes and they add to all of your pain. I don't know what was happening with David here, but emotionally it was like he was carrying a weight that somebody kept adding to the weight. The troubles of my heart my real person, the inner person, my soul, they're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, enlarged. And then he says, bring me out of my, you know, distress is kind of a strong word, isn't it? When we think about this, David wasn't just having a, you know, bad day and uh, maybe he didn't get what he wanted for lunch or maybe one of the kids acted up or something like that. When he uses the word uh, save me out of my, and notice first of all that it's plural, not just one distress, but it's distresses. They kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming. And uh, it, it's almost like if you're down in a pit and uh, you have a ladder on the side of the pit, that every time you climb a rung of the ladder, the pit gets higher. And that's what David says. And also there's darkness involved in this so that it is distressing for somebody like David. We get down to verse 18. Look on my affliction and my pain. Affliction and pain. Affliction and pain. It's emotional and it's also that it's affecting his physical body as well. And then he says something, forgive all my sins. Now most people think that if they are suffering enough, they don't have to worry about sin. In fact, a lot of people think, well, they get a pass if they're in distress. Well, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. And we pat them and we say, oh, you couldn't help it. The pain was so great or the trials were so great. And then they, you know, maybe nod or someone else nods. And it's as if we think that we can act ungodly if our situation is bad enough. And yet David, in the midst of this crushing, distressing grief and pain, whatever all was going on there, he says this one thing. Forgive me of my sins because there's never an excuse to be ungodly. There's never a reason to fall into sin. You don't get a pass just because life has messed with you and because the enemy is attacking you. You've got to walk with God 
all the way through. So I have noticed over the years that the things I'm going to talk about tonight, my typical four points, uh, most believers do the opposite of these things. At least a lot of them do. And then they wonder why they can never come through the valley and get traction again. And sometimes we're our own worst enemies, aren't we? Because number one, a believer in distress should know the source of his help. David says, turn yourself to me and have mercy on me. Now, we all know we have a threefold enemy as we go through life. We have the world, and they, go, they were constantly against us and attacking us, and the world hates us, we're told in the New Testament. We have the flesh, and that old nature just shouts what we ought to do, and sometimes we don't hear the voice of God because our flesh is so adamant on what it wants to do, and it wants out. It doesn't want to learn. It doesn't want to grow. It doesn't want to be improved. It doesn't want to be strengthened. It wants out, okay? If you think back to uh, your school days, if you played football and the coach made you run in August heat on the bleachers, up and down and up and down, and he says, Give me five more because somebody complains and you want to kill that person that complained. And uh, you're doing it over and over and over. Uh, at the time you're doing that, you don't see any real value in it. Wasted time. You know, we ought to be out on the field throwing the ball or catching the ball or tackling or do something we're going to use in a game. We're never going to be in the bleachers during a game. But the coach knows you need to be disciplined. The coach knows that you need to learn a lesson. And the coach knows, too, that it'll toughen you up and you'll see it later on but while you're doing it everything every cell in your body is is screaming stop no more i can't go any further and then you find out of course that you can but when you are in a trial the lord is using that trial to help you to bless you to strengthen you and as he is doing that the spirit within you is saying bring it on this is good Praise God, hallelujah, growing and learning, getting stronger in the Lord with every step that I take. But your flesh is going, stop, I don't like this, get me out of here, and it looks for a shortcut. And you know how well that would work if you were doing that in football practice, and yet we do it all the time with the Lord. Here's our path, here's where we're going, it's gotten hard, it's gotten rough, it's gotten tough, and so we're looking for an exit, we're looking for some place that we can go. Now one of the things we need to understand is the world will always give you alternatives to your walk with Christ. Okay? We all basically know how to walk with God. We know what the Bible says. We know what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. And, and we get that. But the world is always going to give us an alternative. There's always going to be a book. There's always going to be a preacher. There's always going to be a philosopher. There's always going to be an entertainment. There's always going to be something that says, you don't have to go through this. Here's your shortcut. Here's your way out. And your flesh will go, yeah, there's air conditioning over there. Let's go that way. Yeah, that's shorter than this. Let's go that way. The ground is more level over there. Let's go that way. And the devil is using his demons to tempt you and to uh, entice you, just like they did with Eve and everybody else, to go off of the path and saying, it's okay. You've done enough. It's been hard enough. You've suffered enough. God understands, and God can only expect so much out of you because, after all, we are only 
human. Isn't that interesting how quick we run to that? Well, I'm just human. I'm just normal. Now, we don't want to get proud and arrogant and, and act like we are not human. But at the same time, we don't want to lean upon that and say, that's my excuse for why I'm not being more faithful to the Lord. That's my excuse as to why I don't have any joy in my life. I'm only human. A person can only stand and take so much. And we fail to look to the Lord. And so whenever we're looking to the world, whenever we are obeying the flesh, and whenever we are following the temptation that comes, uh, that's just belched right out of hell, what are we not doing? We're not looking to the Lord, and we're not crying out like David did, I need you, Lord. Turn to me. I need you, Lord. I cannot do this on my own and trusting in Him. And so we get into trouble when we follow the world, the flesh, or the devil, because the thief comes only to, remember John 10, 10, kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, and have it more abundantly. Yeah, very good. And so when you are in the midst of suffering, in the midst of your distress, remember this, you're either making a choice for the trick and the lie of the enemy or for abundant life. Well, it doesn't feel abundant. It doesn't look abundant. It looks long. It looks dry. It looks hard. Yeah, but God has promised that he's working all things together for your good. That's why you've got to look to the Lord. So many people, when they get in trouble, first thing they do is drop out of church. First thing they do is quit reading their Bible. First thing they do is to quit doing the things daily that they know are right, and they indulge in sin, and they kind of quit on God thinking that what I need is a break. Well, you're not McDonald's, and God's not McDonald's, and the church is not McDonald's. And frankly, you don't deserve a break today. What you need is to get with God and get with the people of God and be under the sound of the Word of God and let it nourish your soul. The temptation is always to go and to go another way. But we know what the enemy's strategy is. I uh, remember Ronald Reagan when he was president. He said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Okay? The government can mess things up like, you, like nobody's business. And they can spend more money doing it too than you could ever even imagine and leave things in worse shape. It happens time and time and time again. The private sector is so much more efficient and so much better at all of that. So, okay, think about that. Somebody knocks on your door, open the door. Hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Nope. You know. Let me tell you something. There's something worse than that. So when somebody knocks on your door... I've heard you are in bad shape. I've heard you're hurting. I've heard you're really sad. I've heard that you are really down. I'm from the world, and I've got some things that'll help. Nope. Close the door. Whenever your flesh says, you know what you really need is, don't ever listen to the flesh. The flesh is never going to take you in the right direction. The flesh is always going to take you in a way that is going to destroy you and satisfy it. And certainly don't listen to anything that the enemy has to say. We need to follow the word of God and we are 
commanded to follow the word of God at all times and to walk with him and to learn his ways and to be disciplined by him, to be strengthened by him and trained by him for battle. And the Lord knows what he's doing. He is, after all, a sympathetic high priest. But we get to the point where we go, he doesn't know what he's doing. I'll do it my way. Well, that never, ever works. And rebellion, of course, is as the sin of witchcraft. So we don't want to do that. So I want you to think about how easy it is to hear the voices that are calling you away like a, uh, in Greek mythology, the siren song that is getting your attention and saying, over here, over here, over here, you deserve this. This will soothe you. This will help you. And that is always leading you down a path of destruction. David realized that. Look to me, O Lord. And it wasn't that the Lord wasn't looking, but David probably felt like he wasn't. And David cries out because he knows the help that he's going to get is not going to come from anywhere else but the Lord. Okay, Let that uh, be pounded into your brain and into your spirit. And uh, that, is, that is just a, a tough thing that David finds himself in and uh, not a time to compromise, not a time to back down, not a time to quit, not a time to fudge on things. And so number two... Think about this. The believer in distress should recognize that things could be or become worse. Okay? Well, I think you ought to think positive. I am positive. I'm positive things are going to get worse, right? And sometimes when we get into that situation, we think, oh, I'm bearing more than anybody else has ever, ever been through. Oh, this is just, why is this happening to me? And why is God allowing this to happen? And that's why verses are written in the Bible that say that uh, the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. Because we tend to get selfish, self-centered, turning everything, this is the worst that anybody's ever been through. No, it's, it's really not. Especially when believers were in perse being persecuted. Can you imagine how many times they were tempted to say, oh, this is the worst persecution ever. And so Peter, the apostle, writes to them and says, nope, same thing is being experienced by your brotherhood. Don't think you're special. Don't think that you've got it worse than other people do. There's always, as mama used to say, somebody in worse shape than you. Isn't that right? You can always find somebody. About the time you think that you are the top of the list, you find somebody who's got it a whole lot. You wouldn't trade places with them. Think of it like this. Whenever you get down in the dumps, whenever you think God has put too much on you, just look around and find somebody and go, would I trade places with that person? And there are some people you would. I'd gladly take your problems for the things that I'm going through. But if you look hard enough, you'll find somebody where you'll go, don't want to trade places with them. They're, they're in worse shape than I am. They're going through a whole lot more than I am going through. Okay, so things could be worse. Things could be worse. That uh, old uh, uh, poem that uh, we had to learn in high school, I once would complain because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. It could always be worse. Now, it could always, we said in that point, become worse because the bible says that you reap what you sow 
And why is it that we think that if we are suffering and things are bad, we don't have to do what's right. We don't have to obey God. We don't have to live by godly principles. And when we fall for that, that's a lie from the enemy, and we think we deserve a break, as I said earlier, what happens? We reap what we sow. And we find out that our trial may be lengthened, it might be deepened, it might be darkened. Any number of things can happen in all of that. And then we go, why won't God rescue me and why won't he get me out of this mess? Well, because you're disobeying him and he's going to keep you in that until you learn your lesson. He's a good father. He's a good parent. And so things could be worse as you look around and see other people that you wouldn't trade places with. And they could become worse if you think that you're just going to live your own way. Now look at what uh, David said in verse uh, 16, the last part of it. For I am desolate and I am afflicted and the troubles of my heart have enlarged. He is being put through it. So I want you to think about it. What are the things that people do that cause their trouble to get worse, that cause them to have their trials lengthened and deepened and darkened, all of those kind of things? And I want you to consider these things. How many times... Have you seen somebody do this? These bullet points. By isolation from God and his people. Oh, I just can't possibly go and be around the people of God. They're all so happy and I'm so sad. I don't need to be around smiling, rejoicing people. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Well, I'm just so sad I would feel out of place in church. No, it's, it's in church that you have people that love you, who pray for you, who know you well enough to know that you are going through some things and they stand with you, they kneel beside you, they encourage you, they send you a card or a note in the mail, maybe they bring you a meal, maybe they give you a phone call and say, what's happening, how are things going, how can I help, uh, just different things like that. Maybe they give you advice, maybe they counsel you. But the tendency that so many people have is, I'm in a trial, I can't believe what's happening to me, I can't believe what's happening to my family, I can't believe what's happening in my business, and I'm just going to sit in here in a dark room and pout. Isn't that human nature? And we don't want to do that. You don't want to be in that kind of distress, and you don't want to be in a desolate place, a place where you're all alone. So isolation from God and His people. How about this one? By foolishly continuing in sin. You know, sometimes we have trouble because that's God graciously saying, stop. And we go, no, I'm going to keep on. And if what we, all we do is what we've already done, all we can expect is what we've already got. As they say, when you find yourself in a hole, rule number one, stop digging, right? And yet so many Christians... They are going to persist. It's like they're on this, uh, maybe an ego trip, we would call it, that people have told them and warned them and preached to them that they're wrong, and now they're getting the consequences of their sin. And instead of quitting and confessing and forsaking their sin, it's like they're going to plow on to prove to everybody that I can do this, and, and there will be no consequences to it. Well, you know better than that. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He doesn't just say, well, okay, go your own way. We'll see you in heaven. He doesn't do that. He always goes through everything we go through with us because he indwells us. 
And because he loves us just the way we are, he loves us so much he's not going to let us stay that way. And so God is constantly working on you, working on me. And the discipline is not always a paddle to the backside. Sometimes the discipline is learning to handle consequences of sin so that we get sick of it and we don't want it anymore. It's maybe learning how to handle temptation so that we can overcome it with the uh, shield of faith that quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I mean, maybe it's by reminding us of something that we read in the Bible. Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget what we read out of the Bible? We read it in our quiet time, amen, and then we get to a place where we can apply it, can't think of it. And so God lets us go through some trial or some battle or maybe even a defeat because he said, next time you'll remember what I told you. Next time you'll pay attention and you'll apply that. But we don't like those kind of things. We stubbornly continue on and say, well, okay. Years and years ago when you could still smoke in hospitals, I visited a person that had emphysema who was on oxygen. And I walked into their room and they took their cannula off so they could take a puff on a cigarette. Okay, does that make sense? Now that person probably would say, it's too late anyway, it doesn't matter anymore. But I think that sometimes is a metaphor for probably how they live their life. Oh, it'll never affect me. My great aunt lived to be 96 and she smoked. That's actually my great aunt. And, uh, but that doesn't mean I can. That doesn't mean that it's not going to affect me. And some people are just so stubborn, stubborn in their sin. It's not going to affect me. It won't affect my family. People have affairs and they think it won't bother their children. It does. People that get hooked on alcohol or drugs and they say, well, I can handle it and I can quit anytime I want to. And then they end up in a rehab or they end up uh, causing a wreck or something like that. All of these kind of things we see all around us in our world and sometimes, sadly, even in uh, the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ come because we don't want to confess our sin or forsake it. Or if we do confess it, we don't really forsake it. We want to just kind of hold on to it and stubbornly persist in all of that as if nothing is really going to matter. That's another way that we sin. And then another thing is, when you are going through pain and distress and suffering, what should you do? Well, one thing I would say, if you've got six months to live and for right now you can still get up and move and do something, find other suffering people. Dixie Walker, one time, uh, just right out down there, I was talking to her and she was going through chemotherapy and I said, Miss Dixie, I'm praying for you. I'm so sorry you have to do that. And, uh, you know, her eyes, she looked at me and she goes, Oh, Brother Greg, don't do that. And I said, why? And she goes, because I'm getting to witness to people I never would have met if I didn't have to go through chemo. Now, those of you who knew her, doesn't that sound just like her? Because when she had suffering in her life, she saw that as, now that I know what this is like, I'm going to find other people that are going through it. And she would pray for you that you would never have to go through it. And if you were going through it, she would be the first one to know how to encourage you. Why are you in distress? Why was David in distress? To learn the things that we've talked about here and to also be compassionate toward other people. So why do you go through those things? Why is it, oh, God's just picking on me? No, he's making you tender. 
He's making you compassionate. He's making you aware. I bought a car one time, and I had really done a lot of researching on that car, and I found it, and I got the car. And I go, wow, this is going to be cool. Everybody's going to look at me at the stoplights and everywhere else because there's not another car like this in the metro area. Till I drove it off the parking lot. Then all of a sudden, well, there's one. There's one. I thought I had the only one. What happened? Because of what I bought, what I purchased, what I was driving, I was aware of the uniqueness of that vehicle. And then I started seeing it everywhere else. Let me tell you something. As you start learning the Word of God, as you start practicing it, as you go through trials, as you have things that hurt you deeply, one of the things God is doing is making you tender. That's why it hurts. He's tenderizing you. And He is also opening up your eyes to awareness. I didn't know people suffered like this. I didn't know this kind of disease existed. I didn't know these kind of trials happened in marriages or in families or with children or grandchildren. But I do now. I do now. And you will have those things that God will take you through and you will never be the same again. And you can never hear about those things again without deeply feeling all of that because He's making you more like Jesus, who is a sympathetic high priest, and he's making you a sympathetic believer. So, think about that. Number three, the believer in distress uh, should see only one way out. One way out, okay? Now, we've already said the believer should understand that there's only one source, and that's the Lord, but here I am. I'm in this cave. And I have run from my enemy in the deepest part of the cave. Now all of a sudden, I don't know where I am. I don't see anything at all. Have you ever been in thick darkness that just enveloped you? There was no light, your eyes didn't adjust, nothing like that. I, I kind of think that's one of the issues that's going to happen in hell because it's a place of outer darkness. I don't think there's any light in hell, and I don't think anybody ever gets to where they can see anything in hell, outer darkness. Well, let's say I'm in a cave, and I've run in there for some reason. Maybe the bear was chasing me or something, and I get into the cave, and I run back a long way into the cave and through the turns and all of that, and now all of a sudden I stop, and I listen. I don't hear the bear. Maybe he gave up. Maybe he left. Except now I've got a problem. How do I get out of here? And I strain my eyes looking for light that's coming through the entrance of the cave. Looking around and I'm trying different things. I run into a wall. I didn't know that was there. And I go another way and then it ends up being a dead end. And I, uh, you know, I have to backtrack again. Now I'm really confused. And uh, then I hear a voice. And it's a voice of maybe a park ranger a voice of a policeman, a voice of maybe somebody in the National Guard, could be any number of people, and I hear them calling out, anybody in here, in here, in here, in here, right? And I go, I am, I am, I am. And they say, keep talking because I can hear your voice and I'm going to follow that. And can you imagine how I feel in the midst of that thick darkness when I see a light? There's that man with a lantern or a flashlight or something like that. And he comes and he finds me and he says, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, let's get you out of here. And what do I do? 
when I am leaving that dark cave? Do I tell that guy, you know what, you go that way, I think I'm going to head over this way. You would probably expect that out of me, wouldn't you? Uh, you don't do that. You follow the light. You follow the light. And so many times when we get in distress, we are trying to handle things on our own, to do things in our own strength, and we are there in our darkness in that situation, and we don't have a light, and we don't have a light to follow. And we're running into things and running into walls, and uh, we have the rescue all the time here with us because the only way out is going to be uh, through the light of the Lord. Notice David says in the last part of 17, bring me out of my distress. You know why? Because David can't get out. Everywhere he turns, he runs into, I mean, you know, if you're already banged up and messed up and you're in a cave, and then every time you trip, every time you run into a wall, every time you scrape yourself because you can't see anything, you're going to be in worse shape, aren't you? And David is saying, I need you to look upon me and come get me out of this. I don't know how to get out of it. I keep running into things in futility. So David felt like he was in a, a dark cave and could not find the way out. Well, then how are we supposed to get out? Think about this. The personal light of the Bible is what he needed. You know, it was David, after all, that wrote, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, if you have a light, you can get out of things. You can figure it out. You can get out of the way. And the Bible is that for the darkness of this world, for the darkness of our trials, for the darkness of our distresses. But you know, so many people, when things don't go well for them, when things are hard, when things are tough, when things are tight, they don't pick up their Bibles. They don't come to Sunday school. They don't come to church services. They don't think they need it. And yet that's exactly what they need. You've heard the old saying, the time when you don't feel like praying is the time you need to pray the most. And the time you don't feel like reading the Word of God is the time you need to read the Word of God. It's light to you. It'll give you wisdom. It'll help show you the way out. And in the book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 8, do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Amen for that. Because he is the light that can't be put out. The light that shines in the darkness. So here we find that we've got to understand that there is a way out, but there's only one way out, and we need the light of the word and the light of the Lord in order to get out. Don't put those things away. And don't stop having your quiet time. And don't stop coming to church if you're able. I mean, I understand some people can't, and that's, that's fine. But it's when you won't, that's when there's a problem. And you're making your situation worse. Number four, the believer in distress should be spiritually alert and humble. You mean the demons of hell would attack me when I'm sick? Yeah. You mean the demons of hell would attack me when I'm at the lowest point I've ever been in my life? Yeah. They don't care. They don't love you. They don't call a truce. They don't leave you alone. They don't walk away like cowboys in westerns and go, leave him alone, he's had enough. You will never hear the enemy do that. When they see you down there, remember the Bible says he's like a roaring lion? 
You know what lions do when they attack their prey? They don't back off. They intensify when they can get the prey down. And that's what the enemy does with you. He kicks you when you're down. He is not your friend. He has no sympathy for you. He has nothing but abject hatred for you and everything you represent as a child of God. And he has come to destroy you. He has come to harass you. He has come to intimidate you. And so those times when you look and you go, well... You know, it's just, this is just different. It's just a different situation and all of that. Well, the enemy's not looking at it like that. They're going, yeah, good, go. We got them. So you've got to be careful in all of that. And you've got to be humble because the Bible says we've got to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord to be lifted up. And it's when we humble ourselves that the enemy is defeated, the roaring lion is defeated. And we've got to be spiritually alert. You can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm sick, or oh, it doesn't matter, I don't feel like doing anything, or oh, it doesn't matter, I'm going through stuff. I mean, we're talking here about so many times people that when they get into a jam, when they get into a bind, when they uh, have trouble like that, they abandon the very things that are going to help them. Oh, I had a doctor that got really upset with me one time when I was in my 20s because I had a lot of sinus problems and allergies and things. And he gave me some antibiotics and said, take these. And it's, you know, that thing where you take all of them. Well, guess who didn't take all of them? Because I started feeling better. You know, I don't need these anymore. I'm feeling better. Guess who got even sicker when he relapsed? And guess who had to go back to the doctor? And guess what they asked? Did you take all your antibiotic? No. How come? Well, I didn't think I needed it didn't think, think I needed it. And that's what people do with, the, with their warfare. That's what people do with their uh, walk with God. They think, I don't need it right now. I'm okay. I can handle this. No, no matter what you're going through, I don't care how bad it is, you've got to space, stay spiritually alert and you have got to be humble. Look at my affliction and my pain, as bad as that is, he says, and forgive all my sins. You still have to realize you're a sinner and you think bad things, you do bad things, you're motivated by bad things, and boy, they can sneak up on you, especially when you're sick, especially when you're depressed, especially when you're grieving, especially when you're going through a trial. I mean, you, you know the drill on all of that. And so the pain here is no excuse to sin. We're not allowed to lose hope in the Lord. That's always supposed to be there. We're not allowed to lash out at other people just because we're hurting. That may be normal, but it's not for a Christian. And we're not allowed to look to something other than the Lord, and yet so many people do, and they become bitter. They have discontentment. Everybody's got it better than they are. I hate my life. And there's just so uh, many things that come up. There are many more than all of these things, of course, and they pressure us to go to sin. And you know what the hardest part whenever you're suffering, whenever you're going through a trial? The hardest thing, everybody struggles with this. You know what it is? Waiting. God doesn't always get you out of your trials instantly, regardless of what the health and wealth people say. Sometimes you have to, uh, the Bible says that God will not tempt you above what you are able to bear, but with it will provide the way of escape that you may, I hate this word, endure it. Sometimes you just have to endure it. And the Bible counsels us and commands us 
that we are to wait on the Lord, and that's the part that we don't like. That's the part that we want to run from. Psalm 27, <coughs> pardon me, 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that's what we hate. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Galatians 5.22 Some people act like patience is a curse. Never pray for patience. Tribulation brings patience and God will zap you with all of it. Well, He's going to give it to you anyway because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Embrace it. Don't run from it. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Got to be faithful in uh, all of those things. I want to uh, tell you a story about a guy named Frederick Nolan. Frederick Nolan. And uh, then this picture that's on the side will make sense. He was uh, living in Africa. He was a believer. And uh, there was an intense persecution coming uh, toward the people there, the people of God. And he was being chased, being chased through the jungle. And uh, he was running and running and running and running and scared to death and tiring out. And when he could go no further, he saw the mouth of a cave. And he ran into the cave, and he stumbled, and he fell while he was there. And then he crawled back into the cave, bleeding and bruised. And he noticed when he looked out at the light, there was a spider. And the spider was weaving a web over the mouth of the cave. It's a beautiful web, but what good is a spider web going to do for him? And he waited there for his persecutors to come because he knew he was going to die. Well, while he was there, the persecutors came, he heard them, and then they went on by. You see, what happened was his persecutors thought maybe he went into that cave, and then one of them saw in the sunlight there the spider web, and the spider web was undisturbed. And you know what they decided? Hmm. That wouldn't be undisturbed if he were in there, so they went on by. God saved his life with a spider web. And later, Frederick Nolan wrote the words, and he said, With God, a spider web is a wall. Without God, a wall is a spider web. Think about that. We put our strength and our trust in the wrong things. Had Frederick Nolan look, been looking to anything else, he would have been captured and caught. But God used a spider web to keep the enemy out of his life and to preserve his life. This is why we've got to wait on the Lord and this is why when we get into our distresses we can't just start shedding our armor and our word and all of that and just doing whatever. It's not a license to do whatever we want because you know God will understand and you can't expect me to do any more than this because I'm only human. Well, you're a human and dwelt by the Spirit of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and you have the Word of God, and you have the strength of God in your life. So don't quit, and don't give up. And as long as you're able, with every breath you have, pray, give thanks to God, be a blessing, and understand that frail, feeble spider web that is around you. What good is that? Well, with God, it can be the wall that keeps the enemy out. So David would counsel us, wait on the Lord, stay the course, and remain faithful to Him even through your worst trials.
Okay? Now you may know somebody going through something. Now you've got something you can counsel them with and at least pray for them about. This may be for you. You may be going through something intense. Who knows? Maybe this uh, next few months may hold something. But what are you going to do? Remember this message and apply it because it will bless you and it will get you and sustain you through your trial because the Lord is for you, the Bible says. He is with you and nothing shall separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray together, okay? Lord, we come before you tonight because we don't really understand how strong you are. We don't understand what you can use. Like in Mr. Nolan's life, you used a, a spider building a web to protect his life. That would never be in military strategy. That would never be anything in medical science. That would never be in anything that would a survivalist would use. And yet you did. And it was true indeed that a spider web became like a wall keeping his persecutors out. Help us to understand that it pays to serve Jesus and to remain faithful even when our flesh says stop, even when the world says you don't have to do that, and even when the enemy says you deserve a break. Help us to press on to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would be a good example to other people. But most of all, I pray that we would show our love for you and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we've got uh, your newsletter with a lot of names that are on the uh, back of it. And you might add Eddie Wiley onto that. I found out that he is in the hospital. I'm sorry? Oh, he's here. Hey, Eddie. Glad you're here. Pray for him anyway. He needs it. Like the person said to me one time, uh, I need the prayer and you need the practice. Okay? Um, and uh, Bullock had surgery today. And also uh, Nancy Elkins had her knee replaced uh, just the other day. And so we've got letters down here for you to sign for them. And so be sure and do that. And be sure and do more than that. Be sure and pray for them, okay? And remember the Lord in your distress and think about others who are going through stressful times as well and you've got something to pray over them tonight so take time to pray and may the lord bless you i appreciate you being here tonight and uh, pray that uh, you've been strengthened and encouraged and that the lord will use his word to uh, build you up in uh, everything so uh, leave whenever you need to but be sure you take time to pray be sure and sign these letters okay god bless